the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. One of the great promises of crypto was that anyone with a smartphone and a digital wallet could become their own bank. You can send and receive funds at the fraction of the cost of a bank transfer. But there's a catch. Crypto wallets are notoriously difficult to set up and passwords are easily forgotten, in which case your funds are gone. Bear in mind that an estimated 4 million Bitcoin are believed to be irreversibly lost because the owners either forgot their password or misplaced their wallets. That's the challenge in bringing mass crypto adoption to Africa. A company called Axalio, founded by crypto pioneer John Lombella, set out to solve this problem, providing a digital wallet that could store your assets, whether crypto or fiat currencies, and transfer that anywhere in the world for a small fee. It's a small step from owning a wallet to gaining access to a world of investment opportunities, which is what Axalio set out to provide. Now Axalio is planning on launching a commodity-backed token that will allow anyone to own lithium, Colton, cobalt, or dozens of other commodities for which currently there is no retail market. What this will do, says Axalio, is open up wealth opportunities in Africa and deliver on crypto's promise of better opportunities for all. Well, joining us to discuss this is Axalio founder John Lombella, who's with us in the studio right now. Hi, John. We spoke a little while ago. How have you been keeping? Karen, thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic. Last time we spoke, I think you were in Congo. Uh, and that was a little over a year ago. Tell That's us about right. your plans for Axalio. They have advanced a bit since then with the planned introduction of commodity-backed tokens. Sure. I think people might have a little bit of trouble understanding why that's a big deal. Can you just unpack that for us? Well, absolutely, uh, Karen. Thanks for having me here. And uh, it's been about, what, almost two years? Actually, this is the second year since we last spoke on your… Is it um, that long? Absolutely. It's about <laughs> just about a year and a half. Okay. Um, the journey has been amazing, uh, but also filled with a lot of uh, ups and downs. And uh, we've made some amazing uh, strides on our path. I just returned back from the U.S., where we uh, kind of set up the company in the U.S. Uh, to be the uh, global headquarter for our, our operations. So now I'm back in South Africa to set up the Africa operations, and we're pretty much excited about what we expect to do over the next few years. To answer your question about the uh, the, the commodity-backed token, I've always been a proponent of the tokenization of true store of value. The key word there is true store of value. Because if we look back at what happened last year, let's look at these beautiful algorithmic uh, tokens, for example, the Luna or the Terra Luna that imploded completely. Nothing really truly backed that particular token. It was all about uh, this utopia of being able to, you know, replace the dollar or things like that. But you know what? For me, that particular project was was driven by, by greed. People thinking that, you know what, they, they are going to rack up Lot, hundreds of billions of dollars, which essentially they did, right? But the promise of blockchain technology uh, through tokenization is something that really is at the heart of what Axalio is looking to do. When we talk about unearthing wealth creation potential, you look at Africa alone. Africa is full of mineral resources. The DRC alone is full of gold, cobalt, lithium, coltan. In fact, all these electronic equipment today are made at the back of these elements that are extracted from the Congo. But very few people in the Congo are able to benefit directly from these resources that are at their backyard. I've embarked on this journey because of the promise that blockchain provides, the decentralization aspect, the ability to democratize access to these opportunities. And we need to be able to have 
many more fintech solutions or entrepreneurs or startup founders out there that are solving real problems on the ground. And Exalio, which by the way stands for African Exchange and Liberal Investment Opportunity, sets out on a journey to make to make sure that that happens. But why liberal? Because thanks to blockchain technology, for the first time, we have the ability to create a free marketplace where anybody around the world can benefit from those opportunities. We want to create a free marketplace, a retail market where anybody, a smartphone device, or even with a feature phone device can become a participant in this entire ecosystem. And of course, as we engage in this podcast, and I'll tell you exactly how we intend to uh, uh, create or to, to bring to the masses on these financial products that will solve everybody's daily issues when it comes to finances and things like that. Not just about creating wealth or wealth creation is, is really depending on on who understands it and, and who has the resources to make that happen. I don't believe that everybody will, will be equally wealthy. Um, wealth has a different meaning for everybody else. But for us in this journey, it's about how do we provide the right tools to the people out there for them to benefit from the things that they never had access to before, for the things that actually have only been given to you know either the wealthy or the politicians or those who have access to that knowledge. So we want to be able to decentralize all of that. And the only way to do that is through blockchain technology. And Axialo is at the forefront of building something that doesn't necessarily only focus on remittances, like everybody else does, on payments and things like that. There's way too many solutions to that. We do believe there's so much left on the table when it comes to wealth creation, when it comes to unlocking these real opportunities. We also want the people in Africa to be able to invest in the stock market like Tesla. Let me give you an example about this Tesla thing. Look, last year, January, Tesla reached a trillion-dollar market cap. The one share alone was over $700. But Tesla wouldn't be Tesla today if it doesn't make use of the cobalt and lithium, these elements coming from the DRC. I remember in October 2018, there was a, um, a mining week that happened. And guess what happened? There was somebody from, from California sent a Tesla car to go all the way to the eastern part of the Congo where the mining week was being held. And that Tesla car, I think it was a white white color. And the, the president back in the days, Kabila, was there. And a whole bunch of other people were there. But that was a strong statement. If you think about it, a Tesla being sent in the dungeon to show to the world that, listen, this car is because of you, because of the components coming from this continent, this country. And this region, this very region. But now, let me ask you this. How many people of that region are able to benefit or were able to benefit from the wealth that actually made Elon Musk to be the first billionaire in the world? I mean, like... like, like the no, first trillionaire, I The think. first trillionaire, <laughs> close to trillionaire, right? Yeah. How many people? And even more so, when you try to register as a Congolese person, right? You try to register in one of the the brokering tools for you to invest in the U.S. stock market from Africa, from Congo, you wouldn't pass the KYC. And because you can't pass the KYC, that means you can never, ever invest in the stock market. So you can ever, never really benefit from the wealth creation opportunities that you could get from a Tesla share. You can't even invest it. There's an application called Robinhood in the U.S. And when I'm in the U.S., what I tell Americans when I'm in the U.S. is that, you know what? We are building 
the Robin Hood of Africa. Now, the reason why I say that is because they already know what Robin Hood does for them in the U.S. Robin Hood was launched in 2013, right after the economic crisis of the 2008, the collapse of Wall Street and things like that, that happened. So Robin Hood today allows tens of millions of Americans to be able to invest with as little as $1, the way like, you know, hedge fund managers would actually do uh, on Wall Street. But once again, you know, will they be able to get the same knowledge as, as these hedge fund managers? It's questionable because it's all about education. It's all about the education you get for you to being able to learn the fundamental elements to invest hedge fund style, right? But still, what it does, it gives you access in a democratized way, Wall Street. They couldn't do that before. Robin Hood was the first to do that. But as a Congolese guy, even though I live in South Africa, I can't invest. I can actually, I can't be onboarded on, on Robin Hood. And, and let alone, even if I did, I wouldn't pass the KYC because I'm from Congo. Mm. So what exactly wants to also be able to do, as much as we want to unlock these wealth creation opportunities and, and export them from Africa to the world, we also want to bring some of the best opportunities from the world to Africa. And that we are going to do that through tokenization. If you look at the message that uh, the CEO of BlackRock, I forgot his name, mentioned just about a couple of weeks ago, yeah, um, his name also escapes me. Yeah. yeah, he said the following. He said that tokenization of securities is the next big thing. Mm. It's a trillion-dollar market opportunity. To just to expand on that a little bit because uh, we, we've heard about this tokenization of securities and tokenization of everything. So if you're doing a commodity-backed token like on lithium, lithium being used in, in batteries, uh, you know, everybody's kind of aware in South Africa what a lithium battery is because of load shedding. Okay, we're really talking there about a kind of a stable coin, a stable coin like USDC or USD Tether which is backed by the U.S. dollar. So there's something there, and, and the, this is really the growth area for the, what we call crypto technology or block, blockchain technology, is convert that into a token, which then means it can be exchanged electronically really in, in a fraction of a second, rather than having to go through an exchange and three days of settlement, and then you get paid maybe five days later. Am I correct in that? This is what we have done over the last 18 months. We've built the right partnerships, both from the source, the one advantage I have as an, a Congolese person and an African is that I am very close to the actual commodity, the actual source. Everybody around the world wants things like gold, cobalt, and lithium. We see buyers from South Africa. We see guys from India, Dubai. I have my deal flow. My pipeline is filled with a lot of requests from guys who want to buy the actual commodity because they know what's the future. They want to buy this. Either they want to buy gold to preserve the wealth and accumulate these things over time. They want to buy cobalt and lithium because they understand that these two elements are fueling up the future of the electric vehicle industry. But once again, they don't have access to it. And many of these guys don't necessarily have the funds required for them to... In fact, they don't even want to get involved in the actual operational activity of the actual mine. So we have access to those, to those guys, both artisanally, the artisanal uh, sector, which is represented by about 80% of the small-scale miners, but also the large-scale miners that represent about 20% of the guys who are extracting 80% of the actual underlying commodity, right? Now, over the last 18 months, we've built the right partnerships with these guys. We've signed 
agreement. Many of them are looking to raise capital because traditional banks are unable to provide them with the liquidity to expand their operations. They find it extremely uh, risky and they don't want to be in that in that space, right? So why does our gold or actually commodity back token becomes uh, a very interesting investment opportunity for anybody around the world? Refractionalizing that for anybody to be able to invest in these tokens, whether it is gold. In fact, we started with gold because of uh, everybody understand gold. Uh, gold has proven to be a uh, true, you know, sort of wealth preserver, should I put it that way, over the years. Um, it, it, it is less volatile, and that's the one thing that is going to back our underlying asset. And, and also, we are making this fully redeemable. In other words, you can own a few pieces of digital tokens, and you can choose to redeem them for actual physical gold if you wish to do to do so. I'll give you an example. You go to some ATM in Dubai, and I've been, I've seen that. You actually put your card in, you punch in the pin code, and you actually receive, withdraw a physical piece of gold, right? Whether it is 10 gram or 100 gram or, 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 or one kilogram or whatever, uh, you make that happen. Um, but today, how many people would want to do that, who want to actually redeem physical gold? There's also a different type of redemption uh, where you can actually redeem that for spanning on coffee or goods or anything like that. And every time there is a full redemption that is made on our protocol, we actually burn the actual token, right? So there's always, so we will never mint token more than what we have in the actual reserve. Burning a token, of course, means removing it from circulation. Re Correct. We, yeah. we actually remove that from circulation, right? We only mint what has been ver independently verified and audited by perhaps one of the big four, the guys who are really in the space of auditing commodities, that it is there, it is LBMA certified, approved as a investor, uh, investment grade uh, gold bar, and it is sitting in a specific vault, and it has been uh, verified, and only then do we mint the actual, uh, the actual commodity, right? Now, in the space of cobalt and lithium, uh, this is going to be a little bit different, because, look, why would you actually want to hold those particular elements? Because they're used for a specific purpose, right? Yeah, they're, they're industrial <laughs> metals. They're, in, they're industrial metals, right? And 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 I don't think that it, it is friendlier to hold these assets at your home or anything like that. But what we intend to do that there is to create things like ETFs around this particular product. So you could buy, hold on to that particular token today in exchange for, the, for its future value. So we know... I met, I had a conversation with uh, somebody recently, just last year. He mentioned to me, he said, John, listen, I was a student in the UK. And at the time, he had heard about an ETF on lithium, traditional way of creating that, that ETF. And he wanted to buy that particular ETF. But he was in London, a South African student who happened to be in the investment space and learned 10 years earlier about the potential of lithium. So he put together $2,000, which was way too much for a student, and bought that particular ETF. And he held on it up until today. Now, lithium is now disrupting the future of the electric vehicle industry, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think that the value of the 2000 is going to be for him? Just what I'm saying? Yeah. So in 2030, it is said that 50% of the production of vehicles is going to be electric vehicles. Now, what is it going to be in 2050? Yeah. So if we start, start, start promoting this, this idea to people to want to invest early on, those who can and those who will, right? I don't think this is going to be for everybody, but those who can and those who will, you opening up to tremendous opportunity 
by investing the little that you can today, holding on to that because you do believe this is going to disrupt the future, the electric vehicle industry and so forth. So by 2030, five years from now, whatever you invest today could definitely, because that's going to be in demand. Everybody is now going into into electric vehicle, right? South Africa wants to make this place like really fully electric as well in coming years. So we do believe this is the space and we want to open it up to the market. And because we are very close to the source, I'm working with, uh, there is a uh, mining engineer who is, I don't think if I should actually mention the name, but uh, he is sitting at the board of this Australian mining company listed in Australia Stock Exchange, having been approved for a lithium mine in the Congo. They were just waiting for the mining license to be issued out to them. It is estimated that this project is going to be $1.3 billion. And they already have about $600 million available for them to start spending for the first three years and so forth and building the infrastructure and whatnot. This guy is one of my senior advisors in Exalio, in the mining space for the lithium and also the cobalt. In fact, just the commodities. And we're working very close. So my intention is the following. In three years from now, when that mine starts producing, I want to give through Exalio an opportunity to the Congolese people to own a piece of that wealth creation in the future. They can do that in large-scale mining. We are going to come strategically as a broker to help people in the retail market to get access to that. The banks will not do that. The traditional banks will not do that. But thanks to blockchain technology, we can because of its decentralized nature, because of how we can actually make it happen, right? Those are the things like that that we want to bring to the space. I mean, I see Zimbabwe, for example, has mm-hmm. just announced a fairly large lithium mine as well. This is really something that is, is starting to take off in, in this part of Africa. I want to come back to how do you verify if somebody buys a token that is lithium-backed, mm-hmm. how does he verify that that is what he's actually got in store. Because there are some now logistic problems that you're going to have to solve. Is, sure. is storage and insurance. Correct. And audit. Correct. Because we've seen this with the stable coins. Some of them are not uh, that reliable. USD Tether, for example, uh, there was a court case involved. There was a settlement mm-hmm. uh, where they fully backed one, you know, one to one with one dollar. Uh, I think USDC coin, I think that's uh, more reliable. But there's been question marks over quite a few of these stable coins. So it really comes down to this this thing of audit. There's a question of trust that is still missing, I think, in the crypto space. It's it's all about that, that auditing, right? So we are busy building a fully transparent protocol that will make sure that people can verify almost instantaneously what is really happening on chain with regards to our commodity back token, whether it is gold, cobalt, and lithium. But this is just a technology layer that is simply providing to the people what is happening behind the scenes. So there's a chain of activities from the mine, from the logistical partner, from the insurance company, to the vault, to the warehouse. All of these partners are going to be part of, of our operational activity behind the scenes. So those are the things. And, and then, of course, an independent third-party verifier, like I mentioned earlier, it could be uh, one of these big four auditing firm or somebody who really is in the commodity space that can actually, we have already identified, uh, there's a company in the UK, Lois, that we are going to be working with, but there's also somebody who's built Gramchain, they've built a protocol that verifies the whole chain with regard to, to gold. In fact, you even have a video feed towards the actual commodity stored in the actual vault, 
right? So you can go in there and view the information about whatever is happening there. So it all depends on how we choose to tokenize it. We are still early on in terms of the working on the, on the tokenomics, but the fundamental of how this is going to happen, we've already worked it out. So we and have of, all of the course, partners. one of the yeah. advantages of blockchain is you can do an audit in real time. Unlike a traditional audit where you may be sampling 1% or 2% Correct. of transactions, here you can do 100%. Correct. And those are the things that we want to bring on chain and full transparency to the people. How did you get involved in crypto? <laughs> I got a question all the time. We are in 2023, so it's been about 10 years now. 2013, I remember I was actually a uh, senior manager at the, at the bank, Standard Bank, and that particular year... In South Africa? In South Africa, yes, yeah, correct. There by, by CIB. So that particular year, as a tech guy, every single year I wanted to identify new pieces of technology to learn, to understand, and, and to either apply as part of my other consulting firm, although I was, I was still at Standard Bank as well. So... The year before, the word Bitcoin popped up in my uh, my Facebook feed a few times, either as an ad or whatever. As a tech guy, it made sense to me. The whole idea of Bitcoin, I understood it just by reading what I could see, but I, I never really dived into it until the following year in 2013, where blockchain really caught my attention. Remember, I'm a tech guy first. I'm not here to promote investment or getting people to invest in crypto. No, that's, that's not what I do. I focus more on the technology because I do believe at the, uh, the potential of what the technology can actually do. So when I came across blockchain technology and reading and the story with Bitcoin, I went on to read the Bitcoin white paper. I was blown away by what Bitcoin as a piece of technology was just about to do. And that's the one thing that caught my attention. Not the potential of investing into Bitcoin. In fact, I never actually even invested in Bitcoin until the first time I did was in 2015. I was fascinated by the technology. I was like, wow, this, this, this is amazing. This is really, really something that, w- that is going to disrupt the future of finance and perhaps even the future of everything in business that we do. And we are seeing that today, right? So fast forward to 2015 and me digging deeper and understanding the correlation between blockchain technology and crypto assets and Bitcoin and so forth, I was blown away. And, and I did believe that at a time, this was something that I would use. I just didn't know when for me to be able to participate in solving some of these problems that we see in Africa. And the fact that I could not, I heard about Robin Hood back in the days. 2013, I remember I was in New York. In 2014 and 2015, I was in, in, in the UK and I heard about Revolut as well, the first digital bank that revolutionized digital banking in the, across Europe. It was only early 2016 that I realized that thanks to what I knew about blockchain technology, I could now use this piece of technology in one way or the other, to build what is today Exalio. But it wasn't until 2018 that I first registered the domain name Exalio without really knowing what it meant <laughs> until I defined it as an acronym to say African Exchange and Liberal Investment Opportunity. I just created a domain name, Exalio.com. I didn't know what it was, was going to be. I said, you know what, I'm going to park this thing I'm doing these tours around the world, talking about blockchain, talking about digital asset and so forth. But in 2019, I decided, you know what? Every single thing that I'm doing around the world, talking to people about blockchain technology, we now need to do it for ourselves in Africa. And that's when I realized around May 2019 that Axalio had a meaning, it had a purpose, it had a sense. And we set out on a journey to take it from the idea and working on an MVP project, which I didn't launch, by the way, because what is of last MVP? year. MVP stands for Minimum Viable Product. So every founder, every entrepreneur, 
is required to always produce some sort of minimum viable product to show to the market that, listen, we had this idea, but now we have this product. Would you use it? And does it really serve a purpose? If you feel that this is something that the people will need. And in fact, it also helps us to collect early feedback from the people out there. If this is something that they really, really need, then we go full on to raising capital and investing a lot of our resources and time and energy to develop a product that will definitely serve the people. All right. I think you were quite recently in the United States. And it's an interesting subject about fundraising in Mm. the crypto space and for blockchain projects. And you've been involved in that for uh, quite a while. Just having gone through this crypto winter, we're seeing all of these exchanges laying off people. (laughs) 30,000 people in the crypto space have lost their jobs in the last year. Yeah. Is there money still flowing into these projects? What's the appetite like? You know what's funny? Um, First of all, it is reported that last year, African startups raised around $6.5 billion. That's a staggering number. And uh, although we've seen the collapse of many exchanges, including the FTX, and we've seen the implosion of Luna, we've seen Celsius go down, block fire, and so forth. Did you notice that most of these these platforms, or exchanges that have actually gone down are US-based? FTX, Celsius, and all these big platforms, BlockFi, Gemini. Voyager, Gemini, yeah. all of them US-based, yeah. right? Have you heard of any African startups or founder that is actually has exploded? Well, I think Ice Cube was the one <laughs> South African one. That was an exchange here that, that sure. went bust. Yeah. Right. So now, but you know what? Although that happened, more money still flowed into African startups and especially blockchain-based project. This only tells you that these investors are seeing the future of what blockchain technology can actually solve as underlying problems within the African continent, whether it is in healthcare, agribusiness, agritech, or ad tech, or fintech, or insurtech, prop tech. Every single industry is being disrupted by blockchain technology. And there is a lot more need to make that happen through, you know, and, and these investors, all they're doing is we have a belief that Africa needs to be emancipated. Most of the uh, the recipient of these funds have been the big four. Uh, there's Nigeria, uh, South Africa, there's Egypt, and there's Kenya. Uh, these are the four countries that really, really have racked up a lot of the, uh, the funding. Although we have also in uh, Francophone Africa, for example, in Cameroon, uh, I know a lady um, who launched a very interesting um, uh, uh, sort of investment wallet on crypto, and she racked up about two and a half million euro. We've seen Tanzania as well uh, with a Tala project, uh, what a digital mobile wallet. I, I think Valor in South Africa, they're Valor in South Africa as well. At the time, probably about 750 Absolutely. million rand. So we're seeing more and more projects being funded in Africa. So this is the time people believe in blockchain technology. We've got to make the difference, right? Blockchain technology is not necessarily crypto asset or investing into crypto. We're investing in technology. Yeah, I think this is an important <laughs> distinction here. I think what you're seeing you know, through the whole crypto winter is the speculative element of crypto taking a bath. Sure. However, work goes on in the background to develop these solutions, these blockchain solutions, which allow people to transact and to communicate and do various things in an uncensored environment. Right. There's no intermediary and it happens at the speed of light. And of course, it leads me into my next question. There's a lot of talk about what crypto can do for spreading wealth in Africa. Now, 
you're from Congo. I worked, I think, in, in right. Katanga, which is yeah, the province which you come from. I right. was working like, in Kasai. Kasai. Kasai, yeah. You, you went to, to Mbushimai. I went to Mbushimai. Which is also yeah. in Kasai, but on yeah. the, other, the other part, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I mean... Well, there's lots of diamonds. <laughs> there's, 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 lots of, there's lots of mineral wealth there. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, it's poor. The right. infrastructure is right. broken. I mean, you think South Africa is going through a hard time. You've got to go and see uh, what, what has happened in the DRC and some of these places. The, the question that arises is like, how do you, you see all this mineral wealth? And it's a question a lot of people in Africa are asking, we're externalizing this wealth. There's videos going around of guys working in cobalt mines earning $2 a day. You know, one, one of the most expensive industrial metals right. that's around. Right. Not much of that is staying behind. You also raised a little bit earlier on in the conversation about KYC, know your right, customer, anti-money right. laundering. Now, if you're going to interact on the you know the financial global stage, right. you're going to have to have some kind of filter to sure. keep out the fraudsters because crypto has become sure. a very easy way for people to to do fraud. How do you solve that for Congo, for Kasai? Like that's a very very interesting interesting point. So. If, there's a few things that you mentioned there, right? So there's, there's wealth building and, and there, is, there is solving the whole KYC uh, issue, uh, right? There's these two points. Look, let me start by saying this. Wealth creation, to my view, right, is, is really subjective, okay? So it's all about what do I understand and what resources do I have access in my disposal for me to be able to embark on a journey towards creating wealth. What does wealth mean to each and every single one of us is different. However, we, I do believe we all need to be educated about the foundational basic principles around finance, economics, and so forth. The majority of the people, unfortunately, do not have access to that information. Chances are, for a very long time, many of these people still won't have access to the right piece of information. So it's important that through education, we continue to advocate about what is needed to help people move away from, from poverty. Are we ever going to eradicate poverty completely? I don't know. That's, that's you know, a, a very big question mark, although it's part of the United Nations SDG goals to, to make that happen. We're playing a part in responding to one of those, those goals by developing Exalio. Now, traditional banks are not trusted. People want to keep their money at home. I, I think this is we're talking about Congo here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because talking about I think there was a time when the, the government was right. actually stealing people's money. Yes. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. People still don't trust the banks today. They need a better financial infrastructure with better transparency, accountability, and where people can, be, can feel free to have access to, to things that are prevented from the majority to have access to, right? And that's where the essence of blockchain technology comes into play. That whole decentralization uh, nature of things, whereby DeFi, right? We can provide lending and borrowing. Uh, you, you have somebody who is great at doing agriculture, but she can't get to a bank to get access to a $500 loan because the bank doesn't have her history. She probably doesn't have an ID. But if she's been taught very well, she has everything that is needed. If you give her $500, maybe she will turn $500 into $5,000 better than somebody who's currently working in the bank would ever do. Those are the realities that exist in the Congo. And the DeFi space that I'm a part of, the mission that we're trying to solve is to appeal to people like that, that, that woman, that lady who is in the Congo, by the way, and we've seen those stories, women selling on the street, selling bread, 
But that particular lady is able to send her child to study in Europe because she understood what it means to be able to, to, to save. And, and how many people go to school today, learn whatever they need to learn, but mm. know how to save? No. But that, that lady knows what it means to save. Mm. She's never been to school, right? We need solutions to empower more people like her. Those are the 99% of people that the DeFi ecosystem is looking to help. That's our mission. That's the mission of many of my other peers. But how do we do that? The decentralization aspect of things makes us do that, right? I'll give you one, one example. Let's say, Karen, you have $100,000 sitting in the bank account right now. Well, it is sitting in the bank account, but it is not attracting you any, any good interest, right? Maybe you have saved, sorry, you've, you've actually invested in property and so forth, but you still have $100,000 liquid cash, probably $1.7 uh, right today, right? But now you hear about the Axalio DeFi protocol. You're like, okay, what can I do with this protocol? Well, look, if you join the protocol as a lender, you could take about $10,000 of your money and put it into the protocol. The protocol will return to you, say, for example, 10%, okay? I'm just giving you a rough number here for simplicity. It could be different depending on the, the, the actual asset that are uh, 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 producing the actual yield, right? Because we're always constantly chasing for the best yield. Now, you are in South Africa, you do not have the time of the day to travel to the DRC and identify the best opportunities. Through a decentralized fashion, through our protocol, you dump your $10,000 into the protocol. But guess what? In the Congo, there is a lady who is in agriculture who is looking for money. She's looking for $1,000. And we've assessed her business model. And we've seen what she's doing on the ground. And we know that within nine months, she's going to pay that back, let's say 25% more interest. Now, when she pays that back, guess what? When she comes and borrow, she's not a borrower, she will come into our platform. Of course, we are going to put certain measures, okay, and, and for onboarding them, whether she has an ID or not, whether she has collateral or not. In fact, we appeal to the people with no collateral. We want to get them to get access to more funding, to more money. There are many people around the world with capital, they don't know what to do with it. There are many people around the world without capital, with grit and stamina and the ability to produce and work, looking for capital. Traditional banks cannot give them that capital because they, according to the scoring mechanism, these guys cannot. So they will then be onboarded. How do you, I mean, so no collateral. She wants to borrow $1,000 and, and she's a farmer. How are you going to secure yeah, your, your well, interest? Yeah, hold on. This is the part where we are doing, we have, we have two models. We have collateralized lending and borrowing, okay? But we also have uncollateralized lending and borrowing. These guys are plenty. The guys without any assets to, 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 to back, but they, they, they are doing a lot of work. Those are the people we, we want to help. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about somebody who's got a, a mansion and is looking to use that as a collateral to be able to, to get access to bigger loan, right? So if we, for example, can put a quarter of a million dollars into a pool, a lending and borrowing pool, and we measure exactly the, the various risks, 
okay so we understand the business they're in of course we, we are not just going to be borrowing like that uh, recklessly so it's going to be in phases we understand what's what, what's working what is not working and we're busy building a database around it we're helping these people to understand as well what is required around around money and in the process while they're getting access to loans we're also helping them to save and we're helping them to create right to invest and then we're helping them to towards wealth creation so first of all we want you to get access to money so you can flourish your activity but I just also pay back. In fact, we're also building engines and models whereby we can help you to pay back your loans quicker. But that's a conversation for another day. Right. <laughs> when I come back here to, to really dissect on the, on the inner workings of our DeFi lending and borrowing protocol, right? So you come in, Kiara puts in the funds into the, into the lending pool, and we have borrowers who come in into the borrowing pool. And we have risk measure to be able to identify exactly how much we can, we can, for example, we can look into your cell phone history. How much, for example, oftentimes do you, do you recharge? So if you recharge $100 a month, we know that, okay, you're definitely producing $100 a month. So we can give you up to $100, for example. And if you pay that back sooner, well, your credit scoring increases. We can then give you $150, and we can give you $500. We can give you the, so those are the things we need to build. And over time, we will have achieved first of all, build a, a, a tremendous database of people who are rejected by traditional banks and are looking for capital. And you can come in there as a lender to help solve the issues that are surrounding our humanity. Fascinating, uh, because you, you're looking at things from a completely different way to the way banks do. I mean, mm -hmm. That example you gave is, see how often <laughs> does the person recharge their phone? It does give you an insight into some form of financial behavior. Correct. Uh, whereas if you're looking at collateral, well, in Africa, you, you're just not going to find much. No. You know, if you can tokenize somebody's crop that is not yet harvested, and I know there's discussions and there's a whole lot of models and methodologies being worked around that, um, that's kind of the futures market for, for agricultural commodities translated into the, the token space. That's definitely coming. Can I add on to that? There's another thought that, that comes to my mind, right? Let's look in, into South Africa, for example. Everybody is looking to tap into the township economy. It's a big thing, right? We do believe we can achieve that through tokenization and, de and DeFi in a way that traditional banks and traditional financial institutions can never do. Look at all these guys, the pick and pays, and in fact, look at all these institutions that are trying to incentivize people by getting points. You know, you go into a pick and pay, you shop, you scan your QR code, then you earn points. The same institutions providing these points are the same that are complaining that users aren't making use of these points to actually redeem and buy groceries. And those are unrealized gains for the company. There was a report I read two weeks ago. Safaricom in Kenya has a $36 million unrealized profit at the back of points given to users. Not redeemed. Not redeemed. And they can never put that in the books. It has to be redeemed. We are working on a solution to give value to folks like that. Both the pick and pays of the world but essentially to the users as well. In such a way that pick and pick and realized, can realize that, you know what, there's going to be more food traffic in their stores. We want to be able to tokenize those points in a way that they can be used in a variety of services. 
okay, across this landscape and in, give you. In other words, if you're not going to redeem it, you can trade it and sell you, it to somebody else. But you, you get it right. Mm. DeFi is the only space we can actually make that happen. Yeah. The traditional financial system cannot make that happen. All right. Very quickly, John, final yeah. question. Give us your sense of what the financial landscape will look like in five years. I mean, you kind of <laughs> outlaid it a bit, but um, I, I keep going back to, you know, Mbujimai in Congo. Sure. And the, the, they're these guys, they're hauling maize cobs from, uh, you know, 200 miles on bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, and, the, and they, they can't even sit in the bicycles. They've got to push them 200 kilometers. And they do this day in, day out. It takes them. Uh, you, you know, it's backbreaking work. How is that going to transform? How, how, what are we talking about? How is it going to be transformed by this technology? Look, <laughs> I'm not in the business of predicting the future. However, what I can tell you is the following. I do believe that in the next five years and more, the financial industry is definitely going to be embracing blockchain technology. And we see that many of these people are doing that. Money is definitely going digital. Um, whether we embrace CBDCs or whatever, that remains to be seen. But a lot more people are going to start trusting doing transaction, you know, by sending digital tokens or whatever, digital payment and so forth. I've seen that in Zimbabwe firsthand. I've met with the vice president in Zimbabwe, with the finance minister in Zimbabwe, with other people in Zimbabwe, talking about blockchain technology and how we could help Zimbabwe to get out of their economic crisis. They used what they call RTGS dollar. RTGS actually stands for real-time gross settlement. But they use the added the dollar sign and you don't need a smartphone, you just need a phone, whether it has internet or not, to make payment. Now, if a country like Zimbabwe really understands that we can actually make that happen, it's up to the government to really realize the benefit of how they could use the what's already working, right? And in the minds of the people, and now leverage the power of blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, to change that, that country's economy. I do believe that Zimbabwe can actually reach there and many other African countries. I believe in the future where everybody is going to start transacting online or even with feature phone, once again, without internet. There's a use case right now. Our partners in Kenya are allowing people in the rural areas to interact with blockchain technology without having access to internet. Now, blockchain technology solves all problems. It all depends on how we implement it. Technology is there to solve real use cases. And I am really proud to be part of the journey of guys who are doing whatever they can with whatever resources they have access to, to change the narrative so that everybody, you know, we want to capture the township economy, the, the Stockfeller guys. Stockfeller is a, it's a huge economy in South Africa. Look, right now, all they're doing is forced saving without necessarily getting much right we're working very closely with those guys to help them unlock amazing opportunities from south africa and within the continent and i think the banks have been working on the stock fell issue for for some years with uh i think not a huge amount of success from what i understand they don't, they don't have the right narrative right so you you think tokenization could unlock opportunities you need to give everybody the same opportunities whether you have a hundred a hundred dollars or whether you have a hundred million dollars, we need to give everybody the same opportunities. But most importantly, the honors are on us to educate the masses about what it means to be financially free. That's how we are going to get out of this situation. John Lombella, 
founder of Exalio. What a pleasure it was to have you on this uh, podcast. Thanks for coming in. And we look forward to hearing about the progress of Exalio. Thank you very much, Karen. I'll come back here probably in three months and tell you more about our token launch, um, our DeFi protocol. But also I will talk about our novel blockchain, which is called Green Chain. This is a layer one protocol. It's not a fork. It's not, uh, you know, it, it, it's a groundbreaking technology that, that allows us to focus on, you know, the principles of what we do believe is going to be the future. So everything green, carbon credit, carbon offset, and all that kind of stuff. Those are the next few things that are really at the back of Axalio. Well, that's, that's another thing, of course, that could be tokenized is they, uh, these carbon credits. That's exactly what we are working on. An amazing thing coming down today. That Thanks will be so much, John. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.